0: Welcome to the Palladium Podcast. I'm your host Wolf Tyvy, senior editor at Palladium Magazine. Um, today, we're joined by Dan Figella, uh, who's going to talk to us about AI strategy. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, Wolf, glad to be here. Yeah, so so we're going to go through um, kind of D- Daniel works in in AI strategy, uh, sort of a mix of long term governance and and immediate economic implications. And so we're going to go through a sort of whirlwind tour of what is the long term trajectory with this AI intelligence, you know, very speculative thing that that a lot of people are thinking about. And then working back from that into the geopolitical um, conflicts that we might expect Uh, in in the race for that power. So Dan, could you start us out with uh, an introduction to your work and and what you do and how you think about this stuff?
1: Sure. Yeah. So the company that I run is called Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. That's Emerge with a J. Um, And our, our work is really about mapping what's possible and what's working with AI across different sectors. So uh, we look at a space like insurance or life sciences. We'll look at what are the range of available use cases, so kind of collecting all of the new and developing use cases, and also looking at the actual impact. Where are these being integrated? What's the return on investment here? Uh, What's the inevitability level of these different trajectories? Many of these nascent applications are not going to last. Some of them are going to come to define entire sectors, like insurance, for example, has a number of those. Um, Mm -hmm. So looking at kind of uh, applications and implications, as we say, of, of AI across sectors is the brunt of our work. And, and we we do that to serve big private sector clients, so uh, public uh, financial services companies, as an example. Um, but we also uh, do a good deal of work, some pro bono and some not, with organizations like the World Bank, uh, the United Nations, Interpol, the OECD. Uh, we, we were one of the, I think we were the first group at uh, United Nations headquarters to actually present about the security and defense implications of deep fakes. Um, so we kind of cross into the public sector quite a good deal because as it turns out, what's possible and what's working with AI is really relevant for them as well. But most of our business is in the uh, the private sector.
0: Yeah. And, and so you also think about sort of uh, not just the immediate technological applications and, and implications of, this, of the stuff that's currently running under the label of AI, but also the long-term uh, potential development potential and conflict potential in, um, the general idea of artificial intelligence beyond just current algorithms?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's certainly a huge focus for me. So Wolf, the reason I got involved in any of this, the reason that I'm studying kind of the today and near term financial impact, uh, business process impact, governance impact is because I'm, uh, let's say sort of big time convinced of the grandiose longer term consequences. So about eight years ago, when I got out of University of Pennsylvania for my graduate degree in uh, skill development and skill acquisition, so the cognitive science and neuroscience of how we learn to learn, this is in 2011, um, I was kind of tapped on the shoulder by folks in computer science who were doing uh, learning, but in computers. So this is when NLP was being applied to Twitter data and when initial computer vision stuff was kind of just a play thing. Uh, I I became convinced by early 2011 after I graduated that um, the grandiose long-term consequences of the future of intelligence itself and of kind of the geopolitical conflict around this technology that I I think would be sort of inordinately powerful would be so important that I should just devote my life to it. But as it turns out, Wolf, you've got to pay the bills. So if I were to (laughs) just sit around and Tinker around in a journal and and you know start a little fun blog about you know I've I've done a bunch of TEDx talks on the far out future stuff but TEDx as it turns out Wolf doesn't pay me a dime yeah, um, so so what we've done is is sort of pivoted this around private sector needs that as it turns out are worth a lot of money uh, to a right. company that's going to if you're going to blow two million dollars on a pilot for a chatbot. Um, y- y- you might as well make sure you're not blowing that money. You might as well make sure you're following best practices, you're working with vendors that are going to deliver results. Uh, and The upside of all that, Wolf, of being plugged in in the super near term of the state of affairs of AI is that that Grounded information is extremely relevant to governance. People, I'm never going to be the best lawyer or lawmaker in the room, but I will be the guy that everybody turns their heads to if it's at you know Interpol or, or some World Bank event when it's like, but does that work or is that possible? I will be the right. fella you that know gets what's my going head on on the ground. There. Yeah. So so this started very much with the uh, being convinced of the grandiose distant consequences. Um, mm-hmm. But my day to day is in servicing folks that are looking at um, profit margins today and looking at, you know, the the couple years uh, ahead here in terms of how they're going to pull ahead of the market or, um, you know, in, in
0: Interpol's case, make nations safer. Right. Cool. I think that's a great introduction, Daniel. Um, thanks. Thanks for explaining what you do. So let, let's let's talk now about those longer term implications, the, the more grandiose, as you're calling it, uh, possibilities here. So. There's kind of current uh, AI progress, which has been doing some very interesting things in terms of approximating functions, uh, very advanced kind of statistics, uh, essentially uh, that that can be applied to do all kinds of interesting stuff in, in industry and in research. Um, but I think sort of it's it's unproven whether these current techniques. Are are sort of sufficient for what we do call intelligence, where intelligence is kind of this general capacity to engage with the world responsively, learn about the world, and then go and act in the world. Um, you know, without having to run you know ten thousand times through a physics simulation, or like uh, you know, or 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 have some huge training corpus of data or whatever. Um, and, and so there's this idea of intelligence that we have, which is kind of distinguishing how animals and especially humans are able to interact with the world in a responsive way and and there's there's question about whether kind of current AI algorithms or so-called AI algorithms are able to fill that need or that role, um, or whether it's going to take some new algorithms. And I think so so we can kind of, let, let's abstract over over the particular algorithms that we think are going to happen here, but but uh, let's let's focus our attention now. I think on the that larger question of intelligence and artificial intelligence, machine intelligence. Um, that's that's really what we're talking about here. And and given that, basically, what are the implications? Given the ability for computers to uh, to think in a general way, what does that mean? Um, yeah so so Dan, if you have any thoughts there? Sure, sure, <laughs> plenty, plenty uh, so
1: uh, th- what does it mean so th- there's a lot of questions about how we get there technically I I do not write code for a living I, I can fiddle with Python at a level that convince could convince a novice maybe, but uh, definitely not build anything functional so um but but in terms of yeah, the longer term consequences, I think ultimately so, you know we might think like oh well whoever has it has a more powerful military oh whoever has it uh you know will be able to uh, wield economic resources and become a giant like a google or a facebook and you know own all the data in a space and build monopolistic power i think yeah all and, of those and let's let's
0: let's ground that out to like a particular implications of kind of intelligence on computers like how, how does it you know make your military more powerful or your company more? oh powerful? sure yeah, yeah go into examples well so yeah. i'm happy to go
1: into examples but i actually think the grander consequences are much much bigger than that so there's a paper from i think was written either two months or Two days or something after I was born, um, called "What if Artificial Intelligence Works" by a guy by the name of Hugo de Garris, who is a PhD, um, who's taught at a number of schools. He taught recently in China. Now he lives in Australia again. Really early thinker in artificial general intelligence. Definitely not as popular in the parlance as the Bostroms and the the Kurzweils, but was just as influential for me. Uh, this this 1987 or 89 paper. Uh, was essentially positing the species dominance question. So if we hypothetically were able to get uh, a a machine that was legitimately – as or more intelligent than, than humans, then hypothetically there would be a kind of who runs the show question that would actually maybe be not something we could write off. And for me, ultimately, that's the big deal. So I am happy to talk to you about building economic power. I'm happy to talk to you about military power. I actually think all of that is for, like, children – Um, And I think that the grandiose question is sort of what is after people? What populates populates the (laughs) galaxy? What is the trajectory of intelligence and sentience itself beyond the petty rock upon upon which we sit? And so so I think that there's sort of really hard for me to be convinced that there's very much that's that's relevant beyond that. And I think that AI is, is arguably the most important singular technology, uh, neurotech, nanotech, there's a lot of other stuff that'll go into it. But I, I think AI is the is part of what is what could be seen as the big game, the grand sort of explosion of, of fecundity that began with little biological stuff. Um what that turns into is the big stuff. So we can we can hang there, uh which is like actual stuff. Um or we can also talk a little bit more practical about, you know, uh Facebook or 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 military Yeah,
0: so so what what I'm thinking here is I, I want to get I want to start with those military and, and kind of uh, economic applications simply because when you see the implication of kind of general intelligence on computers in those contexts, you it very quickly uh, and, and viscerally demonstrates, I think, the um, that this is something much bigger. Right. And and so rather than sort of starting with the assumption that it's something much bigger, let's let's kind of talk our way into that. And, and, you know, from, from sort of a skeptical perspective, like suppose I'm at Google um, and or, or Amazon or, or the U.S. military or something, and I'm, I'm thinking about how to apply this, this ability. You know, we can now turn basically um, any Silicon chip that can run a computer program into uh, an agent, it, you know, a fully responsive um, learning agent. So that means suddenly that you know pilots are no longer necessary in airplanes under under basically any circumstances. Drones are no longer remote-controlled planes, but actually, uh, the pilot like is is just as good or better than a human, but works on a chip instead of in you know, a cockpit. Um, you know that that enables kind of mass production of cheap disposable. Um, and very flexible military hardware. So, you know, you, know, you get um, suddenly like uh, much cheaper airframes become, become um, useful. Yeah, and, and then, you know, you look at like in the military, well, what is, what is sort of the problem in the military? Well, it's a lot about kind of integrating information, keeping your systems intact, coordinating between many agents um, to basically disrupt the enemy's systems. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of that basically is very human task. It has to be done by humans because it's this task that's very heavy in intelligence and judgment and action and learning and having an OODA loop and so on. And, and when you can replace, you know, many, many or all nodes of that system with, um, machines, it suddenly you realize you can have a much kind of larger, Military machine, basically overall, and the and, and a much more powerful one, especially given that like you know computers are very fast, they're very good at communication. Um, you know they can communicate over radio; they don't have to speak, they don't have to like listen to explosions, etc. They they um, there are many dimensions on which like silicon-based intelligence will just be vastly superior to humans in that particular. Scenario in that that particular application, and you realize, okay, this is this is like a major superpower here, and in fact, you can apply it all the way up the stack to the level of generals and so on. Now, this is starting to get into the political issues of like, well, the, part of the reason you have part of the reason you hire and fire generals is is for their political reliability in terms of how much they're going to cooperate with the state uh, and, and the goals of the state. But but sort of hypothetically, you 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 can almost assuming you could build adequate hardware um, you could replace the entire military stack with um, with artificial intelligence and so that that is like sort of the first kind of like AI just eats the entire game um, example um, so so Daniel does that does that like fit with with how you would think of it does that make sense to you or would you push back on that do you want to talk? Uh, military first before we go economic, because I'm happy to do so. Yeah, yeah. Let let's let's just close the military example and I just want to like basically go through the same thing in, in the economic example.
1: It would be really, really neat when we can get to a point where actual tactical decisions, you know, uh, do we send this fleet to the South China Sea now or later, can can genuinely be done by AI um, you know that's going to be cool. I would say we're distantly far from that. The upgrading yeah. of a lot of the existing hardware, so big stodgy tanks, big stodgy boats, uh, to start making these things steer themselves and whatnot, uh, is is not really in the wheelhouse. You know, setting up the sensors and and the actuators in some reliable way to have them become autonomous um, when they weren't built to be so, re- retrofitting uh, super, bo- is functionally impractical in ninety eight percent of circumstances. Um, a lot of the advantage near term, and I did a talk about this in Geneva uh, maybe five months ago at the uh, kind of a f- uh, new shape forum for the future of weapons um, but it is is more around uh, sort of um, su- surveillance and understanding and um, uh, gathering and and uh, of information, potentially being able to use that to inform very high level strategic uh, decisions. Um, there's an analogy here with finance and trading, but if if we think about the military, a lot of efforts are about, um, uh, what's happening, what's going to happen, who's doing what, who's moving what, what's the sentiment of the people, what's the sentiment of the government. Um, you know, uh, and then using that with human context to say, maybe does that make them more or less likely to do this trade deal thing? Does that make them more or less likely to do this military activity, or or whatever, or whatever? Yeah, the yeah case this, this is at
0: the strategy level. basically.
1: Yeah, 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 and the context of, hey, does this pattern of way less shipping crates showing up on this one port in, uh, you know, this one Chinese city, uh, d- d- does this make them more or less likely to do this particular economic thing? The reason a machine can't say yay or nay to that, unless it's a very refined, super uh, structured um, sort of use case, is that there's so much context. We have to think about what Trump tweeted two days ago. We have to think about past precedents of different Chinese leaders over time. We have to think about a lot of different facets of other moving parts so what ai can help to do is quantify the previously unquantifiable we now know you know a bunch of you know how much trade is coming in and out how many of certain kinds of military equipment have been produced based on what our proxies are what kind of materiel has been moved from one place to another and we can account for that have that mapped have that tracked look at it historically and maybe even project it into the future and then humans can think about it
0: yeah and so this is this is all kind of within the paradigm of roughly kind of current level ai or near future level ai yep in the task of informing decision in the task of kind of making sense of of vast amounts of information but not in the task of the strategic decision making itself not in the task of integrating its own Uh, you know, model of the world with with thick context and and like slight hints here and there. And 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 so what I'm so this is where, again, this this distinction between kind of current AI technology and the the sort of general idea of AI uh, in its full development uh, comes up. Right. Because because ai as, as sort of the target of the whole field is that ability to integrate all the information and into into sort of an understanding of the world a, a thick understanding of the world and then make make strategic judgments on that information in a in a repeated uh ongoing way and that's so this is like if if you know obviously uh ai as we currently understand it in practice Applied to these problems of, of kind of integrating information and, and informing decision making uh, very useful, very powerful, even at this time. But but if we take it to that, that, you know, uh, impressive extent of, you know, A.I. is, is actually as smart at strategic decision making as a mouse uh, like. Like a mouse actually goes out and learns about the world and interacts with the world and maps the world that it's in and and thinks about the its environment, right? And a mouse is 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 nothing compared to a human, and and a human only has two eyes and and you know two legs and can only do so much, um, in terms of building building uh, our model of the world. And if we think get something that fundamentally can do what a mouse can do and then put that on massive amounts of silicon. You can imagine uh, a military machine that not only integrates all this information, but understands all this information, builds a strategic model of the world, and then acts on that, making judgments. And that's, again, eating the entire decision stack.
1: I think think we can get there. I do think that it's going to start pretty narrow. It's going to start in repeatable use cases. It's going to start in areas where What we're looking for, how we're making decisions, what kind of equipment we're using, um, what kind of context we're informing our decisions with are all pretty bounded. If the technology Mm -hmm. stack changes, the action sets change, the contextual factors we need to make decisions with change – currently like with AI as it stands today we're not there however we're gonna inch there we're gonna inch closer to, to that hypothetically exactly how 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 much closer we get to mouse brainness and, and uh, that, that could imply a million things but I know what you meant conceptually um it, the 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 speed at which we get there i think will depend on core developments in ai hardware software yeah. core developments in the science so the, yeah. the, the, this predicting the speed of that science is really really hard but but i do think that there's some inevitability about improvements here even if it does inch along kind of from narrow to broad kind of at a, at a, a slower pace and i don't think we should expect a, a foom to super intelligence um right off the bat certainly not in in the proximal future um but but yeah i think to your point at that point, um, there would be a lot of very m- much more power unlocked in the military beyond humans. Kind of having better information to make a strategy off of, there would potentially be able to be these these autonomous units that could enact the grand national strategy of defense in their own purview with some human oversight, but basically be trusted to carry out what we would refer to as commander's intent.
0: I I think I think a, a key concept here is just that like. Once you actually are talking about real artificial general intelligence, the human oversight is, a, is effectively vestigial and, and political. It's, it's no longer necessary. It's just some, like, the thing is capable of eating the entire decision stack. It's just that, like, you want, as a human, to retain control of the thing, right?
1: Yes. So, well, yeah, this is the, this is the species dominance question in general. I will tell you this I do not see when the boats in the South China Sea can drive themselves. And when they can decide when to fire or not, by then the humans steering the ship – not steering the ship. The humans at the helm of the entirety of the military are at that point vestigial. I definitely don't see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, it, I think, it, I think there will be maybe that. decades plural. So maybe plural decades before they become vestigial. But to your point, at a certain uh, part of that trajectory, right, is this, at a certain part of eating – Decision stack, which is a nice way of putting it. I think that's quite interesting. So, at a certain point of eating the decision stack, at some point humans are uh, vestigial, and this is, of course, the beginnings. I think, to some degree, of of the species dominance question, which is, well, who runs the show? Who who should run the show? Um, You know, who makes decisions? Who, Who should make decisions? Yeah, and
0: and and let's take the other example then of of economics, right? Like this isn't just military, right? What what is what is a company? If we look at you know a company like Amazon or Google or something, a company is. It's it's a collective intelligence, right? At, at some level, it's integrating a large amount of information and then making a large number of decisions. And a lot of that is made on on sort of engineered patterns of decision making. Um, and and you know, it's it's a combined effort of many people having to be coordinated together to be rowing in the same direction, so to speak. Um, but I think effectively, what's going on there is you're scaling up some agent and some sort of strategic activity um, to, to very high levels of sort of throughput intelligence, if not kind of abstract uh, strategic intelligence. Uh, throughput intelligence, meaning just like how much raw data can it input and output. And and so if you look at a company like, like Google, well, why does it need all those software engineers? What is it actually doing with all those software engineers? Well, it's applying their intelligence to problems of engineering and design and strategy um, and product development and so on, understanding the world, making decisions about what kind of technology needs to be built and and that technology ultimately is taking in information and making decisions. Um, and so so if you start to build software that has actual intelligence in that sense, um, you know you start being able to just replace that whole, stack, again, this whole engineering stack, the whole decision-making stack of a company with this big server farm that's just taking in lots of information and making lots of decisions and, you know, uh, accomplishing the strategic goals of the company, whether that be make money or, you know, make the world's information more open or whatever. Um, and, And once we're talking about real AI in the sense that, like, I mean, as smart as a mouse, um as as smart as a mouse and scalable on silicon like uh, by as smart i mean like capable of of doing the kind of like um complex interaction with the world that 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 basic animals are able to do but just scalable on silicon i think you um i i think again it, it basically eats that whole decision stack eventually and and I think you know you've been saying basically this this may not happen immediately it may not happen fast yeah it might be a slow trajectory of getting there as we sort of build up our intelligence algorithms over time and our, our scientific understanding but but the the point that I'm trying to make with these examples that I want us to kind of explore with these examples is is like what like again it's it's to motivate that that grandiose vision of like why is this species dominance question a question. And, and I think the reason it's a question is like once you concretely imagine real intelligence in any particular task, you realize it eats the whole decision stack or is capable of eating the whole decision stack. Uh, yeah. I mean, you want me to build off of that with you? Yeah, sure. I mean, wh- whatever you have to say here, I mean, or or push back on it. Like I'm just kind of drawing the analogy over to the, to the company. I, I think, again, similar
1: to the military, although definitely at a much more rapid pace within specific pockets like... Um, you know, big tech, for example, uh, you know, some corners of the startup world, some aspects of the e-commerce world, um, there, there will be this sort of already, I mean, many companies that are getting off the ground now are already either have AI or software that's kind of doing the job of what would have been people, obviously. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's businesses getting off the ground already with much of this baked in and the, the transition for them is going to be much more natural, um, but yeah, I mean if if we look at where AI plays an economic advantage today, so about two and a half years ago, um I did a, a big series of interviews with venture capitalists, many of whom in Silicon Valley. So I was living in the Bay Area uh two and a half years ago and um you know drove around Mountain View and whatnot talking to these folks. Um and essentially the the sort of core idea uh which which we refer to anecdotally as data dominance that, that the VCs are excited about. And there's some reasons why this is actually much harder than they presume. Um, but a lot of it is still much of the glittering glory of the potential of AI is is this idea of, of data dominance where essentially if within a specific use case you can have access to more data than anybody else and be able to deliver a better product or result than anybody else, then more people will continue to use you and you will then collect more data and then you will continue to uh, – uh, win more or less. So we could think. Yeah.
0: Assuming, assuming you can reason about that data and apply it until. Yeah.
1: 100%. Yep. So if we look at Google, it's very hard to build a general search engine. There's probably some corner of the world where somebody has a better search engine for something niche, but a general all purpose search engine. I mean, Google's going to win because they built something that was very good, but then they were able to use the results of those searches and, and the proxies for whether the searches were satisfying or not to inform their search algorithms in real time to constantly be adapting to you know time of day type of user uh, previous search history and just factor for so many considerations that your search results are so much better through Google than other systems that it's really going to be hard for a general search engine to beat Google because they have this data moat, if you will. Same thing with Amazon for general
0: e-commerce. Um, yeah. And, and so beyond beyond just data as, as like thinking about these sort of masses of, of numbers and so on, what we're really talking about here is experience as well, right? Experience in some domain. They just know they have, they have a large amount of institutional tacit knowledge about and 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 much of that crystallized in algorithms uh about just how to do this task like in in a way that other other uh companies aren't going to be able to catch up to is what you're saying so it's i would say like basically it's not just the data it's it's the general kind of worldview and experience and and set of Set of practical knowledge that comes out of that data.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 clearly the data itself is isn't. uh, Well, the the data itself to some degree is the hardest part to get your hands on um, because hypothetically, you know, let's just say. The Department of Defense wanted to wield all of its money towards replicating Amazon. They could build the warehouses. They could build even the robots probably. But what they can't build is the behavior of users to know exactly what to recommend, exactly when to send an email and all that stuff, right? The yeah. user flow. So to some degree, uh, Wolf, well, it, it is the data to be really mm-hmm. cold with you. It, yeah,
0: all that all that experience is, of course, grounded in the data. I'm just – uh, I am just I want to thicken out that conception but of course a little bit. Yeah, but it's definitely
1: beyond that. You're right. I mean it, it has to get um, – it has to feed into these systems that can continuously learn and have continuously learned. And I think, like you said, it it becomes this kind of locked-in knowledge. And the cool thing about it is it's not hard-coded locked-in knowledge. It's, it's malleable, adaptable, steerable by humans, but also informable by real-time results at all times, 24-7 in all directions. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, they, they can really pull ahead. Now, there's some areas of uh, B2B artificial intelligence, for example, where we really don't see that same moat being created. There's all kinds of use cases where that moat is way, way, way harder, and AI doesn't have the same uh, uh, potential economic kind of monopoly mm-hmm. power consequences. But what the VCs were excited about two and a half years ago, and many of them, despite understanding some of the challenges, are still excited about today, is you know becoming a Google and a Facebook by doing exactly what a Google, a Facebook, and Amazon did, um, which is sort of owning a singular category to the degree to which people just can't can't possibly enter the fray. And there's a lot of talk about whether we need to update antitrust law. And I think the answer ultimately is yes. I'm not saying I want to break up Amazon. I'm not saying that's what I'm arguing for. I'm just saying the way that monopoly is built is clearly different um, than, yeah. than it used to be. So yeah, that's near term. But you, know, you were talking about eating the decision stack again. Um, yeah, I think that that starts bottom up kind of like it does elsewhere. I think that for Amazon, but, or but I think
0: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit on like on the the idea that this is totally continuous because there's this idea you know if you as we automate and and um, hand over more and more tasks to computers, there's human labor is still this unique monopoly kind of uh, thing which is the human labor is fully general right we fully general in the sense that we are able to. Kind of drop into a new situation, be told what what intent we have, and then like kind of figure it out, right? And 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 figure out how to do it, and and make decisions that computers, no matter how kind of uh, no matter how much software we write at the current time, just cannot do that kind of thing. And and I think there is this hard, uh, or I suspect there there is at least at least qualitatively this hard line of when. AI goes from, okay, it's just another software technique that allows us to automate some new tasks to this is fully general, able to replace humans in a fully general capacity and able to actually eat the full decision stack. And I, I think this is like, again, the, the focus on like, what is the long-term holy grail with AI? It's, it's that ability to fully generally replace humans.
1: I think, yeah. I mean, well, the, 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 the goal for, for who? For the people that own the company?
0: I, I think it's the goal of the field.
1: Um, yes, I think it's really actually quite hard to say the goal of the field to be, to be frank with you. Uh, I think that some people that are working on the cutting edge of AI are of the belief that we'll be able to build really wonderful servants for our goals and create economic abundance and to your point, maybe just get rid of humans from workflows. For other people, I think it's actually about, um, you know, building sentient machines that are, uh, Mm. sort of more morally valuable than human beings. you know, for other folks, uh, you know, it might be solving specific tasks, and they don't even believe in general intelligence. There are hardcore PhDs from good schools that really just don't see that as viable, even you know, a hundred yeah. years out. Now, it's not everybody, but we've we've polled these people, so I mean, I can I can show you polls uh, of, of PhDs from really nice schools uh, who 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 are not of the belief that that that's even a, a viable uh, goal. Some of them don't think it's a worthy goal. Some of them don't think it's an even possible goal. So it's tough to say for for the field. Yeah.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: Um. But, but yeah um, but I guess what, what what you're getting at is that um, it seems like in business there's a big incentive to to get rid of you know humans where possible.
0: Yeah well yeah and and what I'm getting at here is like again this is this is like I want to have this conversation in a way that, that motivates this larger question of the species dominance long-term trajectory of, of intelligence, which really is is I think like the, the big question underlying all this stuff right and and that species dominance question presumes a a like a general a generality of intelligence in the AI side, right? We, if you don't have generality of intelligence, then it's then it m- is necessarily sort of a cooperative affair, right? The way we've always interacted with our technology is that humans have this critical capacity to be able to make decisions, um, uh, 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 and 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 understand the world in a general way and be the agent in the in the interaction. But if machines have the ability to be the agent in the interaction, um, then you get this this Effect again of eating the entire decision stack, and then the question is what What is the role of the human here? And and the final example I'd like to bring up, which is much closer to this, this um, the species dominance question, is the political thing, right? Is politics if you have fully general machine intelligence um, that that is you know superior to humans well it will also be not only in military and economic applications it will be superior in political applications it will be better able to negotiate a political order it will be better able to make those strategic decisions ab- uh, about sovereignty right and 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 i think the the way to think about that is not like oh we'll put a computer in charge and it will like run everything benevolently according to our intent but rather the computer can independently at some point based on its understanding of the world and based on its goals, decide to put itself in charge.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that, again, longer term, I I am not someone who thinks that's tomorrow, but I'll tell you, Wolf, as you are well aware, I'm not someone that writes off that as a concern. And in fact, I think long enough, long ball, um, you know, if we don't nuke ourselves into total oblivion, uh, then I I think eventually we cross that threshold. Um, To your point, it's not like, well, you know, the 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 AI, even to extend on your point here, where it's like the machine eventually you know can handle all the tasks, and then it decides when it wants to take over. That's that's certainly I think part of the mix here. I think there's there's a big part of the mix that people have a hard time imagining, which is that um, a machine may have entirely uh, will, in, in my opinion, a, a general intelligence of that gargantuan power um will have but
0: it but it doesn't have to be all that gargantuan again this is why i always compare it to the mouse because like this is a uh, a level of intelligence that like the most basic at least, predator in in the animal world has.
1: I, I uh, well, I, I think if we're if we're talking species dominance, I do think we're talking about beyond the mouse. But I, I think well,
0: the ma- okay. So let me let me clarify. In terms of scale, yes, we're talking about obviously way beyond any particular animal. I'm talking about the the fundamental like there's something fundamentally separating. Uh, uh, like even even like yeah, a mouse for example from. From you know the the enormous server farms at Google, and and I think that fundamental thing separating that is is some, the mouse has an algorithm that the that those server farms do not have, and that algorithm is the general intelligence algorithm, and and the the mouse is not scaled very big, but the but and and maybe you think that a mouse doesn't have general intelligence or whatever, and it's a human or something, but I think the difference between humans and these enormous server farms at the current time is not mere scale, it's also algorithmic like like you mentioned earlier there's this scientific question of you know, of how these things are going to work
1: yeah i mean i i think it is possible that we could have i don't know how else to describe it but kind of like a relatively dumb super intelligence in other words it can do a lot of stuff uh based on the the, the particular information it has access to and maybe the goals it was historically programmed with um and i i think that that is that is viable in fact some people see that as uh the most likely sort of quote-unquote form of superintelligence would be something that still has a kind of not 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 dumbness like a like a microwave is dumb but but dumbness like a mouse is dumb uh where where it still is quite fettered by uh you know general intelligence sure but but barred. It is barred. It is brooked. It is limited, but it is general. Um, so that there is a vision that that might be the grand blossoming of superintelligence would be kind of a, a form of almost dumb superintelligence. Um, there is another, I think view, uh, and I, I don't have a, I'm not on one firm side of the fence here. I certainly have a team I'd be rooting for if I had the choice, but, um, there's another side of the fence here where, uh, there would be, an intelligence that hypothetically would bloom so much farther beyond what you and I can even talk about in terms of general intelligence, where this thing may be sentient and self-aware, in ways that are like metaphysically inaccessible to us. It it will almost, you know, it it would, should such a thing exist, value its decisions, its actions, its future scenarios in ways that we can't think of, that none of our models of ethics are even remotely adequate to comprehend. And, Mm -hmm. And these would potentially be drastically higher, more distant, more, you know, kind of like you, if you have a cricket, it just can't think of Marxism. It can't follow this conversation that you and I are having. It can't read Ralph Waldo Emerson and enjoy it. Um, Similarly, this this machine would would be as we are to, to crickets in a wholly inaccessible way, and I think that's that's another spooky scenario where instead of the takeover by the dumb superintelligence, it would be the takeover by the incomprehensibly sentient and incomprehensibly mm-hmm. intelligent sentience, and I, and I do believe actually. I, I don't know which of those two will go down. I think a long yeah. enough time horizon, it, 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 it's likely to be one of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my, uh, my hunch here is that there's basically intelligence and not intelligence. And then there's this, just a question of scale. Um, and once you have the intelligence algorithm, you just scale it up. And, and the difference between us and the cricket is mostly scale, whereas the difference between uh, you know, the, the animal and the computer is, is algorithm. And that this is my hunch now obviously I, I could be totally wrong in that and we should we should not be constraining ourselves to to that hunch yeah um but but basically then therefore, my sort of uh estimation would would be that latter scenario, which is like once you have intelligence it, and you scale it up it well it can it can also scale in depth and and there's nothing like algorithmically novel going on or nothing algorithmic mean novel in, in in a way inaccessible to computers that is going on in in that like deep superintelligence kind of scenario as opposed to a shallow superintelligence but i am going to be agnostic on on that question for the purposes of this but but yeah, i, I too, too. but i think i think we've sort of adequately motivated here kind of um, or we've explored some of the, the concretes, but but also discussed this question of of this this long term like eating eating the decision stack. This is how I how I phrase it, right? Eating the decision stack is what I see as like this this like the big question in AI is like what happens when the AI eats the whole decision stack?
1: Well, and, and who controls it ultimately as well, right? I mean, that's pretty yeah,
0: hard. or or what it means to control something that ultimately doesn't need your yeah your help, yeah. Right? I think
1: the the best we've got would be a, a tentative victorious, you know. Couple, I don't know, years, couple months, couple, depending, uh, and then, and then I think the handoff, uh, that the the passing of the baton occurs peacefully or non peacefully uh, after that. Yes,
0: yeah, and and so then then we can start sort of working back to like okay, there's actually an enormous if we if we take like some of our implicit assumptions here seriously in terms of like intelligence being. That uh, this very powerful, very general thing that can basically just be scaled up to eat eat sort of arbitrary amounts of the decision stack, and then, having eaten that, just do a way better job than than organizations of humans can do or, like humans are are pretty disorganized, even in our most organized um, in terms of of the organization of our intents, the the sort of application of of our intelligence to tasks. The, the the speed of our communication, speed and accuracy of our communications. Like I, I could see computers beating us at like all of these things quite easily given the fundamental algorithms of intelligence. And then, so then there's the question of like, okay, it's clearly an extremely powerful thing to be able to like spin up large amounts of intelligence in a server farm um, in a fully general way. And so that gets us back to, okay, this is obviously relevant to global competition because Assuming uh, for the moment that you could actually control that intelligence, which is speculative, but assuming you could, if let's say the United States or China is able to spin up large amounts of intelligence on a server farm and the other guy is not, um, or not just on a server farm, but but in a distributed way on every chip and every little tank and every little drone, um, that, that is clearly a much more powerful position to be in, 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 in political competition um, and and so I think that gets us back to this this starting to look at the, the motivation of geopolitical competition around AI, which is that it's this very powerful thing, I think, yeah, sort of more powerful than the atomic bomb and the industrial revolution and so on.
1: And I think a really important distinction exists that it is an existential threat like those are, uh, potentially from autonomous weapons, potentially from AGI, um, but it is also – it has – potential upside. So I have an essay about this called, you know, why, you know, is how AI is different from nukes or something on danfagella.com. And it's essentially that, yeah, like nukes can't make a thing that's beyond humans. You know, that's the difference here is that they're they're potentially morally relevant, potentially intelligent, potentially sentient um, entities could spurn forth from emerging with biology or just a pure development in in AI and the longer term consequences. And that's, really really different than nukes indeed. So yeah, where yeah. do you want to take things I guess on the
0: geopolitical front? Yeah, and and so there's basically like you've studied basically the the competition between the United States and China yeah, in, in 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 this stuff. And and so I guess there's the immediate question that would be interesting to answer is how much are the strategic faculties of these two entities Tracking the kind of more immediate stuff that you tackle in your day-to-day work, like, you know, the, app, the, the implications of being able to sort of process more data into, into Insight versus um, this kind of longer term eating the decision stack aspect. Um, how, how much, like what, what sort of scenarios are they foreseeing as they kind of start to turn their eye towards competition? And, and what level of competition are we seeing at the at the current time? These these are questions I'd love to hear. Yeah, so
1: I, I think a lot of military, a lot of the weaponization of AI will to some degree be surveillance related work, but also the ability to bend people's minds and experiences. You know, the 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 Russia Facebook ball game of of twenty sixteen I think was you know a, right. a very a very tippy toe into what I consider to be a somewhat inevitable uh mashup of what is real and what is not which i think won't have many very good answers to be honest um
0: right and and so there we're talking about like mass mass kind of surveillance of of not just propaganda yeah yeah not yeah mass surveillance and propaganda not just of of like you know what words you're using and so on but but um potentially getting into to quite deep manipulation of public sentiment
1: Yep. I think that there's, you know, the U.S. has a lot of resources tied up in, you know, stodgy, you know, tanks and, you know, bases all around the world and, you know, a bunch of people sitting in there eating meals in all those bases. And I'm not going to say I understand the, the military complex enough to, to, to make a lot of judgments, but I will say that um, China, I, I think, is only going to invest in the facets of those hard resources where they need to. And otherwise, I think they're going to double down on. Much less detectable, much less blamable, much less overt modes of winning. And when I say modes of winning, I mean sowing the seeds of discord within our country, sowing sowing the seeds of concord in their own. And and um, the the benefit of their own is that they have the firewall, so they can they can keep everybody in a really nice you know squeaky clean party kosher. Uh, you know narrative, and they're able to permeate our very open digital and physical borders with messaging that also will behoove their interests. so ultimately they have more strings to pull puppet wise inside their their walls and outside their walls than, than the us does i think in a,
0: in a great number of regards this, this is a very interesting difference between the grant strategies like if you look at the military hardware that that China and Russia nowadays kind of actually invest in it's a lot of these hypersonic cruise missiles and uh so on that that basically are designed to defeat american military hardware and then where they're kind of um and and that's essentially a defensive capability right it's like okay assuming a bunch of uh aircraft carriers roll into their vicinity somewhere you know in the south china sea or or like behind the philippines or something um you know they want to be able to launch missiles and and knock those things out so that they're now able to strike targets within china and then and and they they really are i I, yeah i think you're right that they're sort of starting to invest in um more non-conventional forms of power projection in terms of yeah the information control and 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 not just power project projection but but domestic defense right like china has has uh Takes ideological security very seriously. They take information security very seriously, in terms of like how much Western discourse is able to penetrate into their discussions, um, and and they also uh, are increasingly kind of becoming aggressive with how they penetrate into our discussions, um, and and yeah. So I think that that very well might be uh, one of the major. Um, Dimensions of future conflict, at least like below the level of going hot, because obviously, you know, if it, if it gets to full escalation, then the military question is very important of like actually just going and blowing up the other guy's base uh, or, or industrial base and so on. But but it, it has to escalate quite far. And, and short of that escalation, there's this huge question of political dominance, economic dominance, ideological dominance, information dominance. And and all of these things are very impacted by Uh, sort of even short and and medium-term artificial intelligence technologies.
1: Yep. I mean, it wouldn't make sense for China to overtly confront the United States in some kind of, you know, brusque man-to-man combat, right? That just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, They should do what they're doing. You know, they should, it should be plausibly deniable to do, you know, whatever it is that they're, that they're, Going for and they should soften us up in all the ways that they had the advantage to do so. You know, they they have leaders for life, like real deal, like first emperor type stuff. You know, like old school dynasty type monarchy stuff.
0: Yeah, they they're still calling him a president, or actually, I don't know what they call him in Chinese. In Chinese, but, but yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. I mean, it's you know,
1: he's got he's he's going to run yeah. the show until the mandate of heaven is taken away. If we use the old Chinese, you know, emperor yeah. language, and and you know, presumably he wants to keep the mandate of heaven, and, and if. Um, you know, so so they've got this long-term horizon for what their strategies can be and what their technological investments can be. The the next guy to step in won't necessarily erase their plans two years later, four years later, whatever. Um, so th- there's some advantages there, and I think it, it really makes sense for them to keep the tack, to knuckle down on control, you know, within their borders, to really mess with other countries in ways that are not blameable, are not sanctionable, are not Punishable, but are are again plausibly deniable. They should do as much of that as possible, and then be able to expand um, their uh, kind of economic predominance if they can shake other people up enough and expand their technological dominance to you know be able to kind of build a world more baked around their own values and, and preferences mm-hmm. um, and 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 more secure for their power structures. Um, so that that would be the right ball game to play. And I think Wolf ultimately, my personal opinion here. Is that at some point in the coming 15 years, um, a huge preponderance of humanity will live the majority of their time in virtual ecosystems. So this could be some kind of virtual reality, for example. Working will be, you know, really effective. Um, relationships will, will be, you know, uh, uh formed and maintained in, in, these much more immersive kind of virtual worlds that will be much more tailored to people's individual preferences, not just for entertainment, what we might start there, but eventually for productive things, workers, that those, those people that have, you know, the, the IQs and the skill sets that make them valuable for, for mind work, uh, will, um, potentially be, be much more powerful if they live in an, in an immersive space, uh, where, where they can, sort of do, do their work and communicate and collaborate uh with as many software things as they want to have up, not limited to screen size, whatever. Um and I think that ultimately when most people live in that virtual space, whoever controls the substrate now the substrate is what houses the experience of those people yeah. whoever controls the substrate is the winner china could probably just push forward with plausibly deniable things to control the substrate and within 20 years you know there's a hypothetical version of the world where within 20 years they kind of do and if, if you're if you're the yeah, one this
0: is this is a this is a very important point like i and i think this has been actually the u.s strategy for a long time with stuff like the internet and social media exporting and on. Right. And and like, you know, as more and more of life has been moving online over the last 20 years, um, that that has actually been a huge gain for, you know, if not U.S. economic and military dominance, at the very least, a gain for cultural and ideological dominance, Um, you know, just in the sense that like the world is using uh america's social media platforms which are that substrate you're talking about right yes and and yeah so drawing that curve forward projecting it forward we get we get yeah even more of the world is going to be on these these platforms um and the question of of political control of that substrate is going to be very important and and you see this you know starting to reverse now actually with with um tiktok has uh, which is a yeah. Chinese app has has begun penetrating into uh, the West. and and you know previously, like if you actually if you look at the um, the dominance of different social media apps, uh, sort of in the Facebook like space on a on a world map, it, it's like a pretty clear map of like who are the actual sovereign powers. there's there's Facebook, which dominates most of the world, um, obviously centered on the United States, Africa, Europe. Uh, much of Asia. And then there's uh VContact, which is the Russian Facebook, uh, which dominates in Russia, and then there's a Chinese one, which I'm I'm not familiar with the name of it, but basically the Russia and China have found ways to exclude the Western social media substrates um and, and therefore political control of those substrates from their countries and, and they've substituted their own. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that's going to be a huge component of the, uh, sort of dimensions of conflict is just who's on whose kind of, um, internet substrates. And, and again, this comes back to the AI issue, because once you're on that substrate, you can deploy AI algorithms, big data kind of stuff to mass control of what people are allowed to say and think on those platforms
1: and to train on everything. Imagine if all the developers are in fully immersive, where we can follow where their eyes are going, we can follow what they're saying with their mouths, we can follow what they're typing with their hands, and all of this is is getting piped in, how much more quickly can we develop machines that can code? Same thing with design, same thing with any kind of capability, same thing with modeling personality, modeling conversation. When we live in these ecosystems, the training of systems will be much more powerful. So if you own the substrate, presumably you own the fuel to build the super and so owning the substrate is the top of the dominance hierarchy on earth as we now know it if you own the, the substrate that houses the most powerful AI and the majority of human experience you probably win Earth, and then probably that thing—you know—should should it continue, would would win you. But at least for a while, you would win Earth, and so that that's the highest winning that I think this planet has to offer.
0: It, I, yeah, at, at the current time, basically is.
1: is at some point, there yeah. will be multidimensional stuff or whatever whatever some superintelligence can do. But yeah, at, mean, le- at least at right. present, it is a race towards substrate monopoly. I have an essay called "Substrate Monopoly," okay, which see, is essentially this, this exact let's point. Um, and uh, it's it's a race to substrate monopoly. In my personal opinion, the grand crescendo of kind of the, the trajectory of intelligence is kind of whoever owns the substrate. Now, from from there, it probably fecundities its way into things that people can't imagine. But at least the immediate control, the the small sort of uh, exhale ah, of whoever's at the top is really when you run the substrate. Then you have more control than any ruler has ever had, um, and and you do get to at least determine some degree of direction from there. And certainly wield, you know, orders of magnitude more power, more power than than any combination of rulers ever, ever on Earth. So I think that's the ballgame.
0: Yeah, totally. And and that's you know the question of like whether whether U.S. and China will sort of continue to be separate entities, or whether one will end up actually ultimately penetrating the other and controlling its its substrate of of work and and communication and so on. That's that's um, that's sort of an empirical question, yet we'll we'll see how it works out. Um, I think once you have a single substrate system kind of dominating and that system has built-in mechanisms of political control, that that will, I think, result in something like planetary government in a relatively permanent way, at least as long as that substrate kind of maintains its dominance, which actually, like, these things could end up just being things that get replaced every 20 years because of the, the change in, in culture and how we're doing things and, and it, you know, technology and so on. Uh, so it's hard to say like how how permanent uh, or how natural the monopoly might be on power in the future. But um, it does look like, you know, short, short, medium term kind of political questions aside, there is this sort of long term probable outcome of of like planetary governance through basically total control of, of all the systems.
1: That's the, that's the top of the dominant hierarchy on earth as far as I can tell. And I, you know, it'd be really cool if there was some, everybody's on the same page about, you know, everybody's an OECD country and believes in all that stuff and can kind of like come to some confluence of what all of that should look like. Uh, but right now there are two sides of the fence with very, very different views about, how people should be ruled and controlled and how power should be centralized versus not and what people should be able to do or not. And that, that fault line I think is where uh, there's going to be a lot of action.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, And, and then, you know, as, as again, coming back to this AI question, like as, as the, as artificial intelligence scales up from sort of um, being able to just marshal these enormous amounts of data involved in that into insight and control, to, uh, you know, being able to eat more of the decision stack. That that adds this whole other dimension there of like, okay, all the humans are plugged into this big substrate system of whatever we build with the internet over the next 20 or 40 years. And, and you know, that substrate in turn is controlled by all these computational algorithms and possibly a small, for, for, for the time being, a, a sort of small... Um, state. Basically, the, the state government that that is able to influence those things from above. At least that's how it works in China. The, the the party is basically in control, and they say, "Yeah, you're building all these companies, and these companies are ultimately arms of the state." Yes. In in America, it's a little different. Um, I think ultimately it works the same way. We just kind of pretend that it doesn't.
1: Yeah, I think if the shit hit the fan, I think the DoD would just commandeer
0: Google and do what the fuck they want with them. Yeah, um, that that very well might be how it works, or or perhaps not the DoD or somebody, but but basically Basically, the state has the sovereignty in the situation.
1: I, I think ultimately, yeah, but it is—it's very clearly, practically on a day-to-day emergency level or not, uh, very different in terms of levels of freedoms. Um, yeah, uh, across the board. But yeah, I think that's—I think that's where we're.
0: <laughs> and so this is like you know, according to current um, ways of thinking, this is a very bleak outcome, right? It's like, okay, wow, total like cyberpunk dystopia. Everyone's plugged into this big. Box machine and it's all completely controlled by some world state um now <laughs> let's see if we can kind of think about this in other ways like sure. you know does this have to be uh do we have to see this negatively i think i think currently a lot of people will see this negatively i like to look at the positive side of things but um this this one is is a very intimidating um sort of future it's it's what i've called before actually uh I've, I've called this digital totalitarianism, basically. It's like once, once the machine, so to speak, has this detailed access and control over like many, many detailed aspects of our lives, um, it, it just naturally enables this very, very fine-grained totalitarian control. Um, and, and so the question is, what do we think of that future? And and are there other futures that are possible, or is this the kind of thing that like basically is predetermined?
1: I, I don't see it as necessarily bad across the board. So um, I think it's bad if you're so down with the monkey suit that you'd just be super sad if no more monkey suits existed.
0: Um, so right, which is which is like to be fair again, that's that's like ninety nine percent. Oh, of course, of course, of course, opinion course it is. is yeah. Is, is Most like rather are. attached to our current way of being. Of, of
1: course, yeah, of course, and and I think it's you know. It is probably, even for the people that aren't married to the monkey suit, it's probably not, you know, it it may or may not correlate to your individual well-being, but if we think about the possibility of what could happen, so, you know, if Lucretius is right and it's just atoms and void, you know, bumbling forth and turning into new things and coming apart and turning into new things, and if that sort of happens indefinitely, then, you know, maybe it could, you know, then humans at some point, Wolf, I think you'll agree, uh, are, are not going to be here for 18 billion more years as we no, are, of course. right? I, so I think... clearly we're going to either turn into something else or be obliterated just like every other species. I think if we get to steer what we turn into, and actually that becomes a super blissful, super capable entity that maybe can seed the universe in a much more uh, uh, meaningful, impactful, grandiose fashion, then maybe that's a happy ending beyond all happy endings, albeit uh, wolf maybe for us individual consciousnesses it may or may not be great I'm not saying we should root for that but I'm saying that's one way to think about it
0: No and I, I'm certainly open to that view it seems like you know when you when you really have to like think through everything and and take it all quite seriously you realize okay that that is kind of the deal we get uh, whether or not we like it in a way um, the human species is a very transient thing we've really only been at it in our current. Sort of form of existence e for like you know thirteen thousand years you know if we count i mean assuming assuming we didn't have like civilization as such during the ice age, but civilized man has been has been you know only existing on the order of millennia, and you know the the natural time scale of things up until now has been the millions of years um and and so and and things are certainly changing rapidly with with um our way of being and and the world we're building around ourselves um and i i really don't see humanity as we know it being anything but a very transient incident in the overall development of of life and intelligence how could one think otherwise but this is also a very hard pill to swallow right it's like wow okay what what value can we find in the future? Like, what are, what are the the sort of consolations we can turn to philosophically here? Um, I got a in, in in contemplating uh, you know our our essentially transitory role in in the development of of future life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is the so I, I think the best case scenario for humanity in general, I think, is w- what I've thought about as kind of being digitized and digested where hypothetically should should uploading be possible for the mind, individual consciousnesses may be able to live in some sugar size sugar cube sized compute where they are you know, infinitely more intelligent and infinitely more great experience, infinitely more gradients of bliss in whatever sort of permutations they so choose, with no no human limitations, right? You and me, Wolf, we can't stay happy forever because our brain chemistry doesn't allow it. Mm-hmm. But in in silicon, you know, hypothetically, we could to many many orders of magnitude beyond what we now can. Not just like eat ice cream, have sex, bliss, but I'm talking about any wildly varied gradients of, of good qualia. Yeah.
0: So high- I'm going to, I'm going to push back on the implicit utilitarianism here. Um, cause like, this is one,
1: this is one of many takes utility, the yeah, utilitarian yeah. upside is one of many, but yeah, go yeah. go ahead. I mean, I, yeah. I don't, I'm not a hardcore utilitarian. I'm giving you one take.
0: Yeah, no, certainly. And I, I, we've, that's definitely a well articulated version of it. Um, and, yeah, I, I just like the way I see it. It's like okay, it's not actually happiness or bliss or whatever that we're tracking it. Um, I, I I sort of think the more important thing is is meaning, right? Finding a meaningful, identifiable role in in the larger story, and and that that larger story is is as meaningful and interesting and and compelling as possible. And and so this is just like my own kind of way of way of approaching like what are we actually trying to do here and i you know i so when i think of like yeah when i when i think of like what what would be sort of the utopian outcome of of this you know digital totalitarian turning into uh expanding super intelligence or whatever um the the utopian outcome of that world is like we actually integrate things into a meaningful larger narrative structure of, of what's going on. And, and everyone becomes, you know, ha- has like the maximally meaningful part in that, but that this is like my I'm, I'm just offering an alternate vision yeah. to the utilitarianism. I think, I think these, these discussions too often seem to become, seem to come bundled with utilitarianism. Um, and and I think it's it's important to kind of like disaggregate that. So that's why I'm pushing back on that a little bit. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I think the, the um I don't know the effect of altruism crowd and and whatnot, which of which I have nothing against inherently. Um, you know, c- can make it potentially one-sided and the utilitarian side of things. I, I do think that if it was super meaningful and everybody was in screaming pain the whole time, I would say your idea sucks, to be honest. <laughs> um, like I would, I would say it's the shittiest idea I've ever heard of. And I would, I would resent you for even having it. Um, but, but you know, of course that's not what you're presuming. You're just presuming there's things on top of gradients of qualia of bliss that go into some levels of deeper forms of satisfaction. And, and that's its own utilitarian argument we could spin into, but I would agree cold utilitarianism, you know, by the book, uh, you know, uh, you know, utilitarianism as such, I think, should not be the only lens we think through. And I think it's good that mm-hmm. you are. Being, being mindful of that. I think it's, it's probably, it's nice to proxy towards if in each step along the grand trajectory. So when you ask, what is the narrative that we, that we can be a part of? What's the way to make sense of this? I think probably the only way to make sense of this is that we have some influence over the grand trajectory of intelligence and sentience. Some, yes. some, some influence over the thing that may be able to make sense of the, the universe or at least much more of it than we can can experience and, and do vastly more than us, maybe even escape to some other dimension and get get, get away from heat death, which which would certainly destroy us in this certain universe, presuming that our physics assumptions are correct. Um and so the, the the some some ability to have influence over the birth of said thing I think is you know, that that's a that's a decent narrative for people for some people that re, that will replace religion right i mean we're talking about potentially creating yeah. a deity like entity i think this will this will replace religion for many people so that that is a narrative that i think is actually some people could get behind but i do think that in the you know if you freeze time and you poll people one by one you're looking at maybe one in lord knows how many thousands of people who's even open to that as an idea right it's it's inherently revolting to most people that haven't taken a lot of time uh, to, to think about it. But so yeah, for most people, I think it's dark, um, Wolf, but, but I do think that the narrative actually is there, whether utilitarian terms yeah. or kind of meaning terms to, to maybe be uh, better.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, am I'm, I'm again, definitely open to that. I think, I think it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very tricky philosophical problem that we're walking ourselves into at, at a very fast clip here. Um, and, um, yeah i mean I, to, to add on to just like being being in this this role of creating uh you know some some successor i would also add kind of participating in the successor in some sense though i'm not sure what that means but um merger i think a yeah, lot of people I, I, a lot ideally. of people hope, like hope well, if you think merge. of it abstract up a little bit to like okay what we're talking about here is is life right the, the future of life life has become intelligent and now we're talking about building the next phase of that intelligence um and, and can we can we feel some kind of solidarity and satisfaction with with the thing we're building and and uh, participation in the thing we're building and that's that's I think kind of like yeah what what the human animal sort of upon reflection is going to want here um, exactly
1: how relevant that is in the totality of things yeah you know? no I mean, right, but, but like, yeah but it, it may it may be something and wolf many people will, you know feel great if they feel like they're going to get to merge with this thing secretly most people what they want out of that is they want their consciousness to continue they they want the Right. Uh, perpetuation of their own individual experience, as all of us little squirming biological things prefer. Um, and, and to be honest, I can't blame anybody for that. But I, I do think that there may be a situation, Wolf, where that's possible, where merger becomes part of the mix. And, and that may be something worth rooting for. So I think you're you're right to bring yeah, it up. Yeah,
0: I mean – but the, yeah, these, these questions are all very speculative and, and I, I can't possibly uh – can't can't possibly sort of give give, give definitive answers and ideology here <laughs> Definitely but not. yeah so i think i think um i think you have to go shortly here but this has been a fascinating discussion we've talked about kind of artificial intelligence in practice in military and companies uh and and sort of the ultimate game of like uh you know if it eats the whole decision stack the the political and and kind of species dominance game tracking that back to the geopolitical conflicts over the parts of that scenario. I think, I think there's sort of much more to be said actually on all of this Yeah, yeah. and, and certainly many topics that we missed. Um, but I think this is an important thing for people to be thinking about, like as we kind of continue to accelerate or not, not that we're necessarily accelerating right now in, in all ways. I think, I think in many ways, like a lot of our, our research and, and, development is stagnant even though in in actually artificial intelligence it looks quite quick um but but as we sort of over the long term continue to accelerate what are we accelerating into what is this long game of you know the meaning of humanity in the in the sort of larger narrative of the cosmos um these are important questions to be tracking and 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 the more practical implication of how are we going to be fighting over it? How are we going to coordinate it? How are we going to how are we going to handle it all? I think these are all really important topics. So I'm glad that I was able to get you on to talk about this stuff.
1: Happy to be here with you, Wolf. It's been fun.
0: All right. So with that, I think we can uh, call it a day.